All right. Hello, everybody. So good to see you, whether you are here at our Legacy Campus or you're online right now, uh, wherever you are in this country or in, around the world, or um, if you're one of, at one of our other physical locations, and uh, whether that's Richardson or Sun Creek or Woodbridge or uh, in Espanol or, or here at Legacy, and, and that also includes San Antonio. But before I jump into the talk, just a quick update about San Antonio because we're making a change. And about a year ago, we started San Antonio as a campus, just like our other local campuses, and with some people who were there who had tapped into Chase Oaks in the pandemic, a former pastor uh, from here, too, that said, man, we, just, we need a Chase Oaks kind of church, like right in our area. And we're like, great. So we started as a campus. And what we've learned over the year is that the way we do campuses, which are very collaborative, is that it, it, it doesn't really make sense to do campuses outside of our area where people can collaborate and really be together, instead do churches. And so we're going to spin it off as its own church, even though it'll be a, a very close partnership to Chase Oaks. And we'll continue to support it, be engaged. It'll just be a little bit different relationship. So uh, when we don't talk about San Antonio the same way, that's why it's still there. And if you know people in San Antonio or you are in San Antonio, let me encourage you to uh, find Chase Oak San Antonio. But it's its own deal. Does that make sense? So that's the deal. So today we're continuing our series, <clears throat> What You Want, What You Really, Really Want. And it's from a time in the New Testament where Jesus looks at somebody and says, what do you want me to do for you? And... When God looks at you and says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, that's a really big deal. He can do anything. And he, you know, has his, com they have their conversation. And, and the, where the series came out of is, hey, if, if Jesus looked at you and me today and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? And from your answers, we actually put it out there and we interacted with some people to get some, hey, what would you say? And that's what has formed each week of this series. So next week is the last week of the series. And a lot of people, that's what we're talking about next week, is about anxiety. Because for a lot of people, just being in this world, like, where's it going? And, and there's so many, you know, just so much going on. And, and I just feel anxious all the time. And I would love to have more peace. I would love to be able to connect. I feel so overwhelmed in life and with all, you know. So that's what we're talking about next week. This week, we're talking about wisdom for making decisions. Because a lot of people just said, man, I'm making some really, really big decisions, and I would love to know God's will for that decision. I want to know that I'm making the right choice, the right decision. Because coming out of the pandemic, there's so many people making huge decisions in life as we come out of such a disruptive time and lockdown and all that, and now reevaluating our lives and our careers, our relationships with it just about everywhere, like just all over the place. There's all this shuffling going on, all these decisions happening. You've heard of the great resignation. You know, so many people have left their jobs or left their careers and are now doing other things. And to think, man, I, I just want to know God's will on that. I would love, to, I just want to make a really good decision. And that's a really smart desire because our life essentially Kind of it is the trajectory of our life is made up of basically the decisions we make. And so it really is a, a great thing to have wisdom and make really good decisions because, you know, where we end up in life, like what kind of career and how that goes and our finances or our relationships, our family, our marriage, we're not going to get to where we want to get with good intentions. We'll get to where we want to get with good decisions. 
It, it's why a, a, a ministry associate of ours, a guy named Andy Stanley, uh, at North Point Church in Atlanta, if you ever have keyed in to him, uh, we actually partner with them and other churches around the country who are built around doing church for people who don't go to church. But Andy wrote a book called The Principle of the Path. And the principle of the path is that where you end up is not about your intentions. It's about the path you're on. It's about your direction. That your direction leads to your destination, not your intentions. And that just makes sense, right? Because you can say, man, I, I want a great marriage. I want a great career. I want to really do great things for God. I want to I want a great finance, like I want to be financially stable. And those are great want-tos, but want-tos won't get you where you want to go. Right? It all depends on your path. So if you're, if you're on a path going over here and where you want to be is over there, well, you got to think about your path. And wouldn't it be great to have a guide that would guide you on the right path in different areas, in all areas of life? Just say, let me, let me help you. If you want to end up there, if you want to end up at this good place, let me help you. I'll, I'll help you, you know, guide your way through. That'd be awesome. A guide is a really, really helpful thing. Like a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go with, uh, there was about 10 or 12 pastors that some generous person paid for us uh, to interact with each other, but to go to Montana and learn to fly fish, which I'd never done before. I've learned, it's not my gifting. But uh, we went to go learn to fly fish, and, uh, and a friend of mine from Houston, a guy named Patrick, well, Patrick Kelly, if you live in Houston or ever go to Houston, uh, River Point Church there is a great church, very similar to ours, and, I, and he's a really good friend. So we were there, and we were paired up on the boat together. So we had, it was a boat where you had two people and a guide in the middle, and the poor guide for both. I mean, he, uh, Patrick is even more ADD than I am, and this poor guy, you know, just trying to keep us going. So, uh, like for Patrick, his issue was focus. So, an attention span. Because when you fly fish, right, you, you have the little float that you're looking at. So you, you're drifting, right? So you, you, you cast it over here and then it drifts and you're watching the float to see if a fish gets it or not. And then it goes and then when it goes over here, right? You do it all over again. That worked great for Patrick for about 10 minutes. And then he was kind of bored with that. So he just sort of just let it drift and was doing different things with his whatever. And, and so after a while he looked. And he was looking for his, he decided to at least check in with his float. And so he yells out, hey, wait a minute, somebody stole my float. Somebody stole my float. And the guy was like, nobody stole your float, it's a fish. You got a fish. So he pulls it up. He caught a fish. I was jealous because I didn't catch a fish. The whole first day, I didn't catch a fish. He caught a couple, not even paying attention. I didn't catch any. And the reason is, is not focus, it was, it was my cast. It was flinging. Because I grew up in Alabama, roll tide. Um, I grew up in Alabama, bass fishing, right? When I, I never really liked it that much, but when I fish, I bass fish. And, uh, and with bass fishing, right, you're, you're using your wrist and you're going, you know, you're flinging it. And then if you catch a, if you, if you, you know, have something, then you pull really tight to set the hook. Well, you don't do that in fly fishing. You won't ever catch anything like that. Fly fishing is very rhythmic. It's very zen. You know, you gotta be gentle. And I was just flipping it around, every, flinging it around everywhere, which meant that I sunk the hook in my back nine times that day, really nine times, in my hat twice. I'm glad I was wearing a hat. And it's like we got to the end of the day, and, and I asked my guide, hey, you know, you've worked with a lot of first-time fly fishermen over the years. Um, so, you know, nine times, you know, he had to, like, dig it out of my back with a little, you know, pliers. Like, you know, so that was nine times plus two in my, in my hat. 
was like, so is that, like, how does that compare with other first-timers? Like, is that average, above average, below average? And he said, well, let's just call it record setting. <laughs> so I set a record on my first day of fly fishing. Kind of excited about that. The wrong kind, but still, it's a record, right? And, uh, and then I get in tangles, you know, and, for, and every time, I've tangled it all the time, and, it, and I hate tangle. And so when I got a tangle, I just hand them my rod and say, hey, you got a problem, you got to deal with it. And uh, it was awesome, right? The only thing I know, the, only, the big learning from day one on fly fishing for me is never go without a guide. Because it wouldn't be any fun. He knows exactly what they bite. He knows how to get tangles out, you know, right? Uh, I would never, with my personality... Other personalities would love to learn. I'd not. So I'm, if I ever fly fish again, it's always going to be with a guide or I'm not going. Well, in life, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a guide in life that's there to detangle all the times we mess up and get us back on track, that's there to help us say, hey, can we, let's think through this. Let's make sure we're doing this right and, and teach us out. And that's what we're talking about today because the good news is God wants to be a guide for you and me. And you and I can sign up for his guide services. And here in Proverbs 3 is one of these promises. Proverbs 3, 6 uh, says, seek his will, God's will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. Meaning if you sign up, if you say, God, I want to do your will. I want to submit to what you say. I want to hear you. Like, I, I want to I do what you want me to do. Then God says, okay, if, you, if that's your direct life direction, if that's your life commitment, then I'll show you which way to go. I'll be a guide. And today we're going to talk about how that works, especially as we have all these big decisions that we make, how his guiding works. Because it's maybe not exactly what we want. Because I think a lot of times what we want when we have a big decision is for God just to make the decision for us. To pray and then look up in the sky and, you know, and then he writes it in the clouds. You know, buy the house in Murphy. Or, you know, take the job at AT&T or whatever, right? You're just like, oh, okay, good. Thank you. Now I know. But, and occasionally God may do the exceptional. Occasionally God may, I mean, once or twice in my life it's happened where I've been overwhelmed thinking, okay, this is a specific direction. I'm convinced God wants. And I put that to the test with other people and all that. But generally, it's not the way it works. Generally, God will guide us in the process of making decisions. He won't push us away and make the decision for us. You think, well, why not? And it's the same reason that if, you have, if you're a parent or if you, were, if you grew up, your parents with you, like it's when, you know, when a baby is six months old, you make all the decisions for them, but you don't want to do that when they're 36. You want them to grow up. You want them to grow in wisdom. Just like the fishing guide with Patrick and me. I'm sure all day he was, as he was rolling his eyes, he was just thinking, you know what, guys, why don't you just put down your rods and I'm going to catch fish for you today. Because this isn't working. I, I'm going to, you know, I'll catch way more fish than you could ever catch in your lifetime in one day. And, uh, and it will, we won't have any tangles. We won't be losing our float. We'll, be, we'll all be good, right? And he didn't do that. And I'm glad he didn't do that because I actually did learn a lot more the next day. I started catching fish the next day. So I never would have gotten there and he pushed me out of the way, right? So God wants us to grow in wisdom and grow our relationship with him as we have to lean on him in the process of making these big decisions. So let's talk then about, well, then how does he guide our decisions? And, and a lot of times, uh, most of the time here at Chase Oaks on the platform, we'll 
generally look at one passage in the Bible and then apply it, you know, explain it and then apply it. But, okay, but sometimes we don't because it's, we're looking bigger picture at the Bible and saying, hey, let's look at what the Bible says about this topic. And we look at multiple principles. And that's what we're going to do today. And the first big principle is the most important. And that is, if you want God to guide you, it starts by choosing to get on a biblical path. Meaning God has already given us enough light in his revealed will, talking about the Bible, what he's already revealed to us. He's already given us principles. He's already given us guide, guidelines to guide us so that we know in whatever area of life, if we're on that biblical path, if we're applying those biblical principles to our life, then we're, we may have lots of individual decisions in that path that are all good as long as they're on the path. And we'll talk about, well, okay, what about that? Like when you have a decision. But the main thing is to get on the path because if you're on that path, you're going to lead to a good destination. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word, talking about the Bible, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So the Bible provides the light so that we know the general path to be on, that we know there may be five or six decisions to choose from um, on that path. But that'll guide us to let us know, okay, then I, I'm going to get to a good place. Or if it's outside of what the Bible teaches, it's like, well, we know that's not God's will because it's against what he's already revealed. So let's play around with that just a little bit with a couple of uh, choices or a couple of examples. So one, let's say you are thinking about marrying somebody. That's a big decision, right? Because, well, that's a big decision. And, uh, and so you've fall in love with this person or you're infatuated with this person and say, you know, should I, is this God's one for me? Should I get married or not? Well, here's an example. One of the guidelines, or you can also see that the Bible is like guardrails. Like there's biblical principles that if you, if you're on a highway and there's ditch, you know, and then, but they'll have guardrails and the Bible provides the guardrails that keep us on path. Here's one of those guardrails with that one. Whether you're dating or so serious that you're thinking about marriage 1 Corinthians 7.39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Now that's for those of you who are thinking about getting unmarried. And you may want to rethink it. Because if you're married, generally God's will, the path is to stay married. Now there are some exceptions. Even in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're in, like in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're a Jesus follower and your spouse is not, and they want to leave because of your commitment to follow Jesus, you're free to let him go. Or... Uh, Jesus in Matthew 19 talked about unfaithfulness and doesn't mean you have to get divorced, but that's an out or, you know, there's maybe a couple others that you could argue for. But generally, if you're married, stay married is kind of the principle. Hope that's not disappointing. If her husband dies, there's an out. Um, but don't get, you know, ladies, don't get too many ideas. You're thinking, oh, I learned that at Chase Oaks. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. So here's the principle, right? Here's the guideline. said, you can marry anybody you want as long as he loves the Lord. Why does he say that? Well, other places too, the biblical principle is if you are a Jesus follower, now some of you are not, so you're off the hook on this one. But if you are a Jesus follower, then one of the biblical principles is you should marry. And then I would say, therefore, why date somebody you would never marry? So I think dating is the same thing. But marry somebody who is also a Jesus follower. And that just makes sense. Because the most important part of your life, the most important life commitment is saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, live for his purposes, live to please him, and live in obedience to him. 
then why would it make sense to say, but I'm going to marry somebody who has a very different life commitment that's opposite from me? Like, that wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. And the Bible says, you know, therefore, if you're a Jesus follower, marry a Jesus follower is what he's saying. Like, that's a biblical... So if you're dating somebody or think about marrying somebody and you're a Jesus follower and they're not, you don't have to pray about it. It's already, like, it's already there. It's a no. You're like, well, I know, but I'm so amazing. They're going to want to become a Jesus follower to stay with me. Maybe, but let that happen. Don't think you're going to get married and then it's going to happen. Does that make sense? So that's the principle. Well, then, okay, let's say marry a Jesus follower. Well, there's a lot of Jesus followers. Not as many as we'd like, but there's a lot. And therefore, well, which one do I marry then? What does it say? Anyone she wishes. Like anybody who's a Jesus follower, just pick one. Now, that's not nearly as romantic as thinking, wait a minute. I thought there was just one person for me. And I'm looking for that one person, Mr. Wonderful or Miss Wonderful. Like, I'm, like you know, that's terrible. That's so unromantic to just say, choose whatever you want. Because God only has one person. I've got to find that one person. I mean, that makes a good Hallmark movie, right? Finding my soulmate and all that. Versus marry anybody you want, right? That's a terrible Hallmark movie. So why would God say that? Well, think about this. Think about how easily it gets messed up if we've got to find the one person. And if we don't, like, because all it takes is one goober to screw it up. Right. One, let's say, well, I'll pick on guy. One guy to pick the wrong girl. And now, well, that's, that was somebody else's one person. So now that's, she's taken off tape. And that other person's going to marry the wrong person because she can't marry the right person. Well, that's somebody else's wrong person. And so on and so on and so on. And you go, ah, it's all messed up. Right. If, you, if it was up to you and me to always make the right, like to pick the one person, it, we'd never do it. Now, I do think in God's sovereignty, that God's in controlledness, that he is big enough to take into account all that craziness. And that in the end, yeah, I do believe I'm married to Christy because that's what God wanted. But if it was up to me to figure that out, I never would have. Does that make sense? So you pick. The biblical principle gives you the guardrail, and then there's a lot of people you can marry as long as they're a Jesus follower and you make the right choice, or you make the best choice you can. Now, God gives us wisdom for that too, but let me give one more example. Let's say a major purchase, like you're buying a car. It's a big purchase, right? Especially right now. And you think, should I buy a used car or a new car? Should I buy this one or how much and all that? And, well, the Bible's not going to say, buy a Toyota Camry. But the Bible does give us guidelines to help us think through that. It gives us guardrails. Like one guardrail is the Bible says a lot about how to manage our finances, how to have a good financial path that's going to lead to a good financial destination. And also another guardrail, maybe on this side, um, is debt. And the Bible talks a lot about debt and how debt isn't necessarily bad, but it sure can be, especially if it's for, you know, just consumer stuff or, you know, stupid stuff. And because debt, when you choose debt, you can... You can use debt in a good way, but if you don't, then you become a slave to that debt. You become a slave to that thing rather than the other way around, right? If you, so, there's, so you think about, okay, well, what does the Bible say then? Well, on the financial piece, right? And on the debt thing. That's going to become really important because you're going to fall in love with a car. At least if you're like me. So maybe for you, you think, ooh, I know what I want. I want a Bentley convertible. Why? Because they're amazing and they're awesome, right? I mean, can't you see yourself in that car? And is that wrong or right? Well, it, I don't know. It could be right. It could be wrong for you. But let's think about the guardrails. So on the financial side, financial management thing, the Bible's not going to tell you what kind of car, but the Bible tells us a lot about how to manage finances. 
So the main thing the Bible says, just a quick summary about how we manage our money, or God's money actually, but how we manage that as a steward of what he's given us. First principle is you live on less than you make, not on more than you make. And then by less than you make, it's I'm not just going to spend it all because the Bible says build your budget around generosity, not around consumption. So you set aside a percentage, the Bible calls it a tithe, set aside a percentage that you're going to give. It's a generosity-driven ethic. So I'm going to set aside the first percentage to give. And the Bible talks about saving. I'm going to set aside the second percentage, and I'll choose the percent, but I'll, I'll, I'll be wise enough to save for the future and then live on the rest. And so around Chase Oaks, when we talk about that, you'll hear us talk about give, save, live, or give, save, spend. And, uh, and, and kind of a guideline we'll talk about is to start with, you have some freedom there, but it's 10, 10, 80 is a good general guideline. So you think, okay, so can I, and, and if you do that over the course of your life, you're not going to look back with regret. Be like, man, that was smart. But if you spend more than you make, well, that leads to regret, right? So you say, okay, so can I afford the Bentley? Can I even work that in? Like, would that work? Or am I going to go into some kind of debt that would be crazy and it would, would you know, be a real problem for me, like a, an anchor in my life and hold me back and, all, you know, can I even afford it? So you may go through that, end up saying, okay, yeah, I can do that, or you may end up with a Kia. But you'll end up with a Kia and a good financial destination. Right? So you just, you just make the choice within the biblical framework, and maybe that's a good choice, maybe it's not, but you make the choice you can. And some choices, when you just put it through the biblical framework, it'll already eliminate, right, certain ones, but then you've got three or four or five choices that are all probably pretty good choices, Then you think, well, yeah, but I still want to know the best one of those, and the Bible's going to give us some help there too. So let's say you're on the biblical path, Considering biblical principles, well, then I've got some choices. How, do, how about then? Well, the Bible gives us some more input. Uh, one thing we can do is pray for wisdom. This is one of the, most, one of the coolest promises in the Bible, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I mean, when we go to God for wisdom, he's not going to say, really, you should know this. This is not hard. Because he knows everything. You know people like that that know a lot and they like roll your eyes when, you know. He doesn't do that. He's like, I get it. I mean, he's got all wisdom and we can go to God and he, the God of all wisdom will give it generously. He'll give us more than we even ask for. When we ask for it, when we seek it, he'll give us wisdom. Which should give us a lot of confidence in making decisions. Because we pray, God, I need your wisdom on this. I'm going to trust you to do that as I go through this process of making this decision. But I need to know that you're filling me with wisdom and helping me out here. And the bigger the decision, I think the more we should pray. Jesus modeled that. Like when he chose his disciples, he fasted and prayed all night before choosing that. Fasted is choosing not to eat. It's not about going fast. It's about choosing not to eat for a while. That, that helps you focus on prayer and know your need for God and depend on him and feel that. And uh, so that was a big decision, right? So he, he prayed a lot about that. If it's a little decision, you know, you just pray quick. But pray for wisdom. And God will give it. One of the ways he'll give it is through other people. That is, as you're looking at making decisions, and you may think about a decision right now that you have in front of you, but if you've got a decision lurking or a decision in front of you, another thing to do is to seek out advice from wise people. The good decisions are a team sport. They're not an individual sport. And there's some reasons for that we'll talk about. Proverbs 1.5. Here's four Proverbs real quick. Uh, by the way, we're going to do a series later in the summer on Proverbs Look in, that, in, in July. But Proverbs 1.5, 
A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wisdom. Proverbs 19.20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. That's, that's like, you dummy. You're not thinking right. That's what it means by discipline, right? When corrective conversation. See, wise people crave that. They don't, they're not, they don't get defensive. They listen. So listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. How will we be wise if we listen to other wise people? Proverbs 15.22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 12.15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. When it says the way of fools, a fool is just a person who, who doesn't go God's pathway, who goes another way. That's all. A fool isn't a somebody that has a low IQ. They could, have, they could be the smartest person in the world, but not wise. Because wise is bending to what God says and, and bending toward his better way. And it says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Any of us, all of us, I'll say this, all of us, one of the reasons we, it's got to be a team sport and we listen to other people is how, is how easily you and I lose objectivity when we fall in love with a direction or we fall in love with a decision. And then we can rationalize just about anything on our own. So let's say the Bentley, you know, go back to that. And you fall in love and you kind of know, hey, for me, I really can't do that. It's really not makes sense. But God loves me. That would make me so happy. God would love for me to be happy. I'd be so happy in that Bentley. Not only that, I could use that for ministry. I could let pastors take it on dates. I, you know, those poor people on the side of the road with signs. I could say, well, I'm not going to give you food because I can't afford it because I've got to pay for the Bentley. But I'll give you a ride. You ever live? You know, poor people don't get to ride in Bentleys. You get to ride a Bentley today. Isn't that awesome, right? We can, there's all kinds of ways we can justify just about anything we want. Or, or the dating marriage thing. Well, I, I know there's some character, I know there's some red flags, but I can change them. Right? Bad idea. Right? We need other people to say, no, that's a really bad idea. You know, or, or whatever. Right? It's just easy to fall in love with certain decisions. And we need other people who stay objective. Because it's easy to stay objective for other people's decision making. Right? It's just hard to stay objective for our decision making. And that's why we need other people in our life, on our team, who just can kind of knock us on the head every now and then and say, hey, that's, you're not thinking right. And wise people seek that out, and wise people listen to it. In fact, that's how we become wise. Proverbs 13:20 says, "Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm." If you want to become a wise person, it's it's really not mysterious how to do that. If you want to become a wise person, it says it right here: hang out with wise people. And over time, as you hang out with wise people. The kind of people who yield to God, who are making good decisions and all that. If you hang out with wise people, you will become a wise person. That'll become the way you think. That'll become your new normal. That's why our church is built around groups, small groups. Because the best way for us to be wise and to be more like Jesus is when we're on, path, when we're on the path together, helping each other. And when you hang out with people who are all trying, who are all on that pathway of obeying God and becoming wiser and more godly, then you become more wise and more godly. Uh, this last week, I had the opportunity to go to dinner with a friend I haven't hung out with in a long time. And he's in, he's in our life group, but I just haven't hung out one-on-one in a while. And it was so cool to just, He's a very wise and a very generous person. And there were some things I was thinking through. And man, his wisdom, it was just so helpful for me. 
just speaking wisdom into my life. And then we got on the topic of generosity. And one of the questions he asked was, Jeff, how do we help people understand that a generous life is way better than a consumption-driven life? Like to be really, like you can't, like, like God responds, like it's the best way to live. And, and it just, it doesn't seem like many people really live that way. And how can we help people really live that way? Because they're missing out on so much. And how can we do that? And I was like, well, the best way for that to happen is to make, is, is for, because you know, generosity is the same, is a part of wisdom. The best way for that to happen is to get people hanging out with other people who are generous. And then you realize, wow, that's the way it works. That's what God does. That's how God responds. And because if we hang out with people who are wise, if we hang out with people who are generous, we'll become wise and we'll become generous. That's the way it works. And the, the best choice you can make for yourself after you begin a relationship with Jesus is to hang out with people who are walking with him, who are growing in wisdom, and listen to them. Listen to each other. And you become your own best friend when we're teachable around wise people not defensive around wise people. So we put all this together, right? One more thing. That is, don't make decision in a vacuum. Consider your priorities and consider your purpose. Consider your purpose and priorities. Like, don't just make one little individual decision, but think, wait a minute, how does this affect my overall priorities? How does this affect my overall purpose? Does it help me become more the kind of person that I want to become? Does it help me live more fully into the purpose that God has me on this planet for? Because I'm not just here for me, I'm here for Him and His purposes, and how does that fit? So I had this great conversation with a young adult a couple weeks ago. A young adult with a really big job title. And a lot of responsibility and a young family. And he was just struggling. And he's like, man, I, he, he's, he's like, I feel so much pressure from my CEO to just keep doing more and more and more and take on more and more and more responsibility. And how do I not do that? And yet, I, you know, I don't want to cheat my family. And so we had this great conversation where he just said, you know what? I'm just going to have to tell her, look, I can't, I, within these boundaries, I will just work my tail off. I'll give you you know, I'll do the best I can, I promise you. I'll give it all. But outside these boundaries, I'm not going to cheat my family. I'm not going to cheat what is more important than even this job, as important as this is to me. And if you can't handle that, then maybe I need to say, I get it, but, but let's figure out how I can do this job well, not at the expense of my family. What a wise young adult. Already think, I wish I was that wise when my kids were that little. I wasn't and had to learn the hard way. He did. Good for him. It's just wise. Or um, your purpose. You know, right now with the great resignation and all these people changing jobs, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I do have a concern, and that is when people make decisions based on what's most comfortable, that's hard. I don't want to work that. I don't want to do that or whatever. There's some things to consider there. But what should drive our decisions is not our comfort. What should drive our decision is God's purpose. And just to tap the brakes and say, hey, wait a minute, let me think about God's purpose for me in my vocation or in my neighborhood or wherever God has. Maybe I'm not ready to make a change if I haven't fulfilled God's purpose. And here's why I say that. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. He's talking to Christians, who, people who become Christians in really difficult environments that were uncomfortable to be Christians. And they want to leave those environments because they're Christians and it's not comfortable. And Paul says, not so fast. Maybe that's the right decision. And he says that. 
But remember that you're not just there wherever God has you in your job or neighborhood or family. You're not just there by accident. You're there because God has placed you there. It's not an accident. It's an assignment. And you at least need to tap the brakes and ask the question, hey, wait a minute. Have I fulfilled my assignment here? Like, am I really free to go? And maybe the answer is yes. But at least ask the question, God, you placed me here. What's best for your purposes? And, and even if it's difficult, maybe I need to persevere and grow and get stronger in a difficult situation. Or maybe I'm free to go to a situation that seems more enjoyable for me. Right? Both are considered. I mean, it's fine to think about what's enjoyable, but also think about what is purposeful. And God, what, what is best for your purposes? What is best for my priorities? So let's put all this together. You may want to think about a decision that you have in front of you. Well, the most important thing with that decision, if you want to sign up for God's guide services, he's there, he's available, he'll do that. But the most important thing is to get on a biblical path. Meaning consult what he's already written, his revealed will, which will answer about 50 to 60 percent, in my experience, of the decisions we have or just dealt with right there. They become a no-brainer. Think, well, I'm going to yield to what God says. I may not even understand it. It may not be my favorite thing, but I'm going to trust him because he's wise, way wiser than me, and I'm going to do that. So, okay, but let's say, okay, I do that, but I've still got two or three or ten really good choices or choices within that pathway. Now what do I do? Well, pray for wisdom. Seek out advice from wise people. Consider your purpose and priorities. And then make the best decision you can. And do what Christians have been doing for thousands of years. Sometimes you just have to make a hard decision. And trust God that he's going to guide it. And you make the best decision you can. And then you think, wait a minute, but what if I look back like two years from now and think, oh no, I chose curtain A, I should have chose curtain C. Ah. I wouldn't second guess yourself. Instead, learn from it. Let it help you become more wise. God idiot priests the whole thing because he, he ultimately is sovereign and in control, even though we think we are. He really is ultimately in control. And even if we make a bad decision, God will always help us get back on path. He will always help us get back on track. And he will redeem the mistake and use it in our lives for his glory and to grow us up. So we can kind of relax a little bit with some of it. It's important to make good decisions. But realize that no matter what, God... You know, GPSs are great because they don't shame you wherever you are. The GPS will just say, they're not going to say, well, how come you're here if you're trying to go there? That was stupid. The GPS will just say, yeah, you just go over here. And God will do the same thing. So we're going to pray. And I want you to consider whatever decision, whatever choice you have in front of you. And I'd also invite you to consider the most important choice you can make. And that is, what do you do with Jesus? The fact that he loves you, came for you wants to lead you to a way better life, not, not only forever in heaven, but now. And you may be considering that, and, which is awesome, right? It's maybe why you're here. And you say, I'm not, and maybe you're not ready to say, oh, yeah, I'm ready to sign up. Maybe you know, you've got some questions. That's okay. It's a place you can search and ask those questions without people. I mean, it's, that's what we all do, just the process of growing in faith. But I, I want to encourage you that, that if you're here or you're watching online as a searcher, as a seeker, and you're asking those questions, from the Bible lets us know that that's not natural. That's supernatural. 
means the only, the only time a human being in our sin nature does that is when God is drawing us to himself. And if you're asking those questions, it's not just you asking those questions. It's God working in your life. And you can choose to respond to him by continue. To serve, but it may be the time to say, you know, I'm just going to make the decision to follow Jesus. I've, I, I'm going to have to bring some questions with me, but I'm going to make that decision. So let's bow our heads together. And let's start with the first decision. To follow Jesus. To say yes to what he wants to do in your life and mine. Not only to forgive our sins, but to begin a relationship with us that starts now and lasts forever. And you can begin a relationship with God right now. Just say, God, I, yes. <laughs> I want you offer everything the Bible says is a gift. I say yes to that. And I want to follow you. I want to walk with you into this whole new life. And for those of us who've taken that step, it's an opportunity now also just to think about a decision that's in front of you. And let me encourage you to commit it to God and say, God, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Your promise is, if I seek your will, you'll guide me. And so, God, I want to—I seek your will. I, I want to know what you want. And I know you'll guide me in the process of making decisions. So, God, help me get on path. Help me go through this whole process and give wisdom. And, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to do that so that I can make a decision and, and move forward. Father, thank you that you are a guide and that you're patient and you're a redeemer, even when we make mistakes. You're always willing to get us back on path. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.